You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, Midtown family. It's good to be with you and happy Valentine's Day. Um, I know we have a few visitors here this morning, so let me introduce myself. My name's Justin. I serve as an associate pastor here at Midtown. And again, really glad that you've joined us this morning and hope that you experience God's love for you this morning. That's what we hope happens every Sunday. I am excited particularly this week to be with you because we're on day seven of our 21-day fast, which most of, most of you are participating in. Uh, this first week, we focused uh, specifically on experiencing God's love personally. And I hope that as you read the devotionals and the scriptures and reflected on God's love for you this week, our hope is that you really did experience God's love personally. And I sure hope that God spoke to you about how much he loves you this week. And as we head into week two of our fast, as has been mentioned already, we're going to focus on, on extending God's love that we've experienced personally to one another, specifically to one another within our church. And so it's a fitting talk to talk about love on Valentine's Day, but we're not talking about romantic love. We're going to talk about brotherly love and how we are to love one another. And what I hope this sermon does is it actually sets us up for this week ahead in our devotional where we have seven days of, of reflection on different scriptures and different prayers. And actually, each day in this coming week, we're going to have a specific um, action item that en- encourages you to, to take up one specific challenge of loving someone within our church, however you feel like God leads you to. So I'm excited about this week ahead and hope that today's sermon really sets us up for a week of extending God's love to each other. And I don't know about you, but the, the 11 months now of COVID in isolation has made me more acutely aware than ever of my need for other people. It's made me very aware of my emotional needs, my physical needs, my spiritual needs, and how often, really most often, God meets those needs through other people. Now, sometimes he just meets them in my own time with God. He does that too. But I've been thinking more about how often the way that God expresses his love to, toward me is through other people. I really believe it's one of the primary ways that we experience God's love is through personally experiencing it through someone else extending God's love to us. We are the primary means by which God reveals his love to us. And knowing this, I'm kind of compelled to do two things and hold these two in hand. One, one thing I want to be compelled to receive God's love from other people. And so I want to make my heart more aware to receiving his love and not just having someone be nice to me or love me in some way, but actually see that as God loving me through them. So whether it's something like a kind word or a small gift or a listening ear or a great laugh that we share together or someone overlooking an offense or even a welcoming embrace by a brother or sister in Christ, I want to reflect on such things and experience that as God's love through another person. That's one of the ways I want to respond to this. But another thing I want to do is I want to join with God in extending his love to other people particularly in my spiritual family, so that they can experience God's love through me. Now think about what an incredible privilege that is, that we get to participate with God in his work of loving someone else by meeting someone's physical or emotional, spiritual needs, that the little sacrifice of time or energy that I might give might be a really simple way of giving God's love to someone that they can experience his love personally just through something that I might do. And I'm excited both to receive God's love and to extend God's love. And whenever I think about those things, that receiving and extending God's love, I think of a lot of scriptures, but one of the ones that, that comes to mind first is Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul gives very, very specific and tangible ways about how we can actually extend God's love to one another. He's going to give several different ways that I'm going to look at today. 
And so this morning, what I want to look at is in Romans chapter 12, I want to first focus on an overall point that he makes about what brotherly love is supposed to look like. An overall point about here's the way Christians love should look. And then I'm actually going to go into all these seven different ways. And I hope that as I describe the seven, that maybe one or two of them might stick out to you. And that when you get to the part of making application this week, maybe one of those would be one of the ones that you latch onto and say, I'm going to try to practice this this week. I'm going to extend God's love to someone in our church in this way this week. So that's where we're going to go today. And if you are maybe looking at your own Bibles, apart from the things that you see on the screen, uh, you might see there's a little title to section uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 20. Uh, The NIV translates it, the little section title is called Love in Action, or the English translation uh, calls it Conduct in Love, or the New King James titles it Behave Like a Christian, or the English Standard Version, my favorite, titles it Marks of a True Christian. And I really like those last two. The uh, behave like a Christian and marks of a true Christian, of a true Christian, because of the way that this start, the way that this these verses begin in verse nine. In verse nine, Paul makes this statement: "Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere." Now, it's not really a command that starts this list of commands. We're going to look at seven different commands after this, but it's more like a statement of what Christian love in the very first place is supposed to look like. So, before we try to talk about how we're to practice it, he's saying, first, I want you to know the way that Christian love should be defined is sincerity. And some of your translations, if you're looking at a Bible, instead of just looking on our screen here, you might see a translation that says without hypocrisy. That's really what this means, sincerity. It means without hypocrisy. It means our love should not be fake. It should not be hypocritical. It not should be with pretense. It should be, or it should be without pretense. It should not be pretending. The Christian love is meant to be sincere and from the, par- from the heart. And so what Paul's stating from the start before he gets into how to actually practice it is he's trying to help us see the kind of love that we're to have for one another. And I'm convinced that he's actually thinking about all that he learned from the disciples about the way that Jesus described the way that we're to love one another. Because if you're to read the Gospels time and time again, you're going to see Jesus actually pointing out insincere love that he sees in others, hypocritical love that he sees in others. Multiple times he's, he's in situations where he sees it and then he'll teach about it and say, don't have this kind of love. There's many motives that can make it hypocritical love. And in the first that we'll look at together, and I think it's pretty common, is one of the ways that we love insincerely or hypocritically is that we love in a way that we can get love back from others. Or a hypocritical motive to love someone is so that you can get something back in return or cause someone actually to be in your debt because you've loved them, now maybe they have to pay you back. One time Jesus was at a party with a group of friends, and he noticed this kind of love was taking place. And so he then addressed the the host of this party, and he said this in Luke chapter 14. Then Jesus said to the host, when you have a lunch and a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, then you will be blessed. Although, you cannot, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, Jesus saw that their love was insincere. It was hypocritical love because they loved in a way that they could get something back or get something back in the return. Or they loved in a way that was easy. They loved the people that were easy to love. They loved the people that they, they thought might give them something back so they could get something in return. 
it's easy for us to do the same thing, to only want to love certain people that are easy to love. Yet when Jesus corrected them, he said that people you're supposed to invite are those that can't pay you back and those that aren't easy to love. That's a hypocritical love. It's an insincere love. It's not the love that Paul is calling for. Another motive that Jesus often criticized was a hypocritical love that when you love someone in a way so as to draw attention actually to yourself rather than the other person or a way to try to make yourself look good before others or look good before God or just make yourself feel good because of what you've done. In another passage in chapter Mark, Jesus witnessed this kind of hypocritical love and he pulls his disciples aside and he says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces to have important seats in the synagogues and places of honors and banquets. You see, they were the religious leaders. And even as religious leaders, Jesus noticed that they were performing their religious duties, not out of sincere love, like Romans 12 says, but in a way to draw attention to themselves, in a way to make themselves so good about themselves, in a way to point themselves, compare themselves to others and what they had done for other people. This is the insincere, hypocritical kind of love. It's a love that, that wants to look good, that wants to earn favor with God or with other people that wants to feel good. And this is a love that we often see to, to our shame, often in the religious community. You could call it the, uh, the, the love that you see sometimes in the religious community that's just done on pretense. If you've grown up in the church, you know, you've seen people who just love because they're supposed to, or they do it just to try to put on a good face, but their heart is not in it. And their religious duty is all they're doing rather than their love being sincere and without hypocrisy. So I think Paul's statement here in Romans 12 about love must be sincere. Before he's going to tell us how to love, he's going to say this is a kind of love it should look like. I believe he's drawing upon the teachings that the disciples would have told him that Jesus had told them about how to love. And he's reminding them that Christian love is meant to be sincere. When I was searching this week for like a, a, the best definition I could find of what sincere Christian love, what we ought to aim for before we talk about how to do it, I found this definition that I found most helpful. Biblical love is meeting a need of another at a cost to yourself in such a way that God gets the glory. Biblical love is of meeting a need of another at a cost to yourself in such a way that God gets the glory. It, it starts by meeting a need. I mean, real practically, what love is, is when you recognize a physical, emotional, spiritual need in someone that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and do something to meet that need. That's biblical love. And biblical love is at a cost to yourself, meaning that it's something that you do that's not easy. You're not doing it for your own benefit. It's going to cost you your time, your energy, or your money. And then finally, it's to the glory of God. That you're loving not in a way to get something back in return or to point to yourself or to, to make yourself try to get gain righteousness before God. But you're doing it because you love God and you want to extend God's love to other people. This is a biblical explanation of what it means to have sincere, non-hypocritical love. That's the kind of love that Paul's saying we're to have. And before we jump into those seven, let me make one little concession because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I don't want you to think that, well, you have to measure, like, is my love costly? Because sometimes, like, when, you, when you're called to someone, love someone, you might actually really enjoy it. You might be called to do something that's really fun for you, and that's okay. In fact, as God begins to change your heart more and more, sacrificial love actually becomes more of a joy. So don't think because it's a joy that that doesn't count because it's not costly. That's not what I'm talking about. It means that you're actually putting someone ahead of yourself. That's what it means by cost, that you're putting someone else's needs above your own and being willing to do what you can do to meet their need. And also don't get too caught up on whether it's to God's glory or not. 
I think we should make it our aim always because Jesus challenged the motives of other people to make sure that we're doing things for God's glory, but we're also not meant to do analysis to paralysis. You've heard that before. Don't think that you have to have perfect motives because know that your motives are always somewhat mixed in everything you do. So don't let that hinder you from stepping out and doing whatever God calls you to do. When you see a need, meet it and make it your aim. Make it your aim to do it for the glory of God. First, Paul describes the kind of love that we're to have for one another. It's a, it's a love that's done, it's costly, it meets the need of another, and it's for the glory of God. And one of the things I'm most excited about before we jump into these seven things, the seven different commands specific to how to love, I'm really excited that each day in our daily devotional this week, we have an actual simple challenge at the end of each day that asks you to think about one thing you can do to love another person. And so I'm personally just super excited to see what happens this week as if we all start taking those steps of faith and loving each other in different ways, what, what's that going to do to help us all experience God's love, but through the love of each other? And so as I list these seven things, I hope that maybe God would draw, the Spirit would draw, as you're listening, one or two of these to mind to say, this week, that's one of the things that I want to try to do. And so let's start and look at the seven different things, the commands that come uh, after verse 9. First is in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That means what I'm going to say, the point there, is to commit to a spiritual family. Now, verse 10 is actually translated by, in various versions of the Bible very differently. So if you're looking at your Bible, not just looking at the screen, you'll see there's all different versions of the way this is translated. And the reason why is because the Greek wording is very strange in this little sentence, because it contains a word that's actually only used once here in the, in the New Testament, this be devoted part. It's only used once here in the New Testament. And it's real similar actually to the brotherly love. And, and without getting into like the complexities of, of what these Greek words meant, let me just tell you that the main point is that that what they're talking about is being devoted in brotherly love. They were words that were emphasized specifically that were to relate to one another as spiritual family. Within both of those words, brotherly love, and even though you don't see it in this translation and be devoted, there's also the word brotherhood in there. And so what Paul's really clearly trying to lay out is the way that we're to love one another as family. So these family type of words were used to emphasize the fact that we are supposed to have the kind of depth of affection for one another and the depth of commitment to one another that we would have in our biological family. That means we're supposed to see each other beyond friendship, that we are really supposed to see ourselves as a spiritual family. And we're supposed to devote ourselves to one another as a spiritual family, whereas to be committed to one another as a spiritual family. And one of the ways that we tangibly love one another at Midtown Church is by being a spiritual family. I know you hear us say it every week and it might get old, but you hear us say it every week that we are a family, a spiritual family that's been loved and served by God and we're compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. And we really believe that because we believe that we are a spiritual family. And as a spiritual family, we're supposed to be committed or devoted to one another. And brotherly love means we see each other as spiritual family and we commit to one another as spiritual family. And I love the way that we do this in our church primarily through the lens of our Midtown communities. If you're new to our church, that's what we call our small groups that meet in homes or now meet via Zoom, but eventually we'll be back in homes again. So if you hear me refer to them throughout the rest of the sermon, we call them MCs. So when you hear me talk about MCs, I'm talking about our smaller communities meet in homes. And, and one of the things that we do as a spiritual family is we, we really value being committed to one another in these small groups. And one of the things I've loved as we've kicked off this new calendar year, we've had several new people join our MCs. We kicked off our new training huddles this last week. So many people got involved in training huddles. And so we're seeing even in the last few weeks, people get committed 
to spiritual family, which is what the scripture says, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We're seeing it happen. And so one of the first ways that we take a step toward loving each other, as Paul says, we should love one another, is by committing to our spiritual families. And so I just want to take a minute to say for those of you who are not yet committed to a Midtown community, let me just be and give you an encouragement that this would be a great time for you to join a community. Like to, to live this scripture out, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, it means that you commit to a group of people. You commit to Midtown as a church and you commit to a group of people in a smaller group to be known and a place to be known. Now, if you're just checking out Midtown and you're on the, you're, you're just kind of figure out what you think spiritually, or you're just connected. We love that. And we welcome that. All that just to say your next step would be to take a step in the community. And for those of you who, if I was to be honest, you're, you're at least on the roster as a part of an MC, but maybe you've been less consistent in your attendance. Let me just encourage you that one of the ways that you practice extending God's love to one another is by committing to spiritual community, be devoted to one another and brotherly love. And I just exhort you like, this is the time to get back committed and faithful and connected in your community because we need you and your community needs you. You see, to love each other in the six other ways that I'm going to describe, it kind of presumes something. You're going to see it kind of presumes something. It presumes that you know other people. <laughs> it sounds pretty simple, but it's going to presume that you know other people. And to know other people, you have to be not just here on a Sunday morning, but, but getting committed into a smaller group of people that you know what's going on in each other's lives so that you can actually know what the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of each other are to meet those needs. It presumes that you know each other which I think is why Paul starts with his first command. It's just to be devoted to one another, to commit yourself to a spiritual family. The second, second command is this. It's regarding putting one another first. Again, just the very next verse, and same verse actually, but part B, honor one another above yourselves. Now, I think Paul lists this very tangible way to love one another next because the next five, uh, in a real sense, it's required that you do this first. Because love that sacrifices and costs us something requires a willingness to see another brother or sister, see them as your spiritual family, and see them as more important than yourself. If you have a different translation, like I said, there's various translations that does these few verses. One of the ways that it's translated, it says, outdo one another in honor. It's almost like it's a contest. <laughs> you guys know that the typical way that we relate to one is, is uh, what some people call one-upmanship. Someone's going to say something, you're going to try to one-up them, one-up them. <laughs> Well, you might call this like one downmanship. <laughs> like what we're to do in the Christian community is we're to one down each other, to continually put others ahead of ourselves, ahead of ourselves, ahead of ourselves. It's by trying to put other people first. And a very clear way that you know, a very, very clear way that you know that you're loving others above yourselves is that you're willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice some of your time, your energy, your money to meet the need of someone else. Or if you're willing to forego something that you really want to do, something that's really on your mind to do, something that you selfishly desire to forego it in order to do something that someone else would like to do, to do something to meet the need of another person at the expense of yourself, that's a great way to know whether you're putting others above yourself. It's the, one sense, it's the essence of love. It's, it's selflessness, putting others above yourselves. And if you're like me, you have the typical excuses that pop to mind when a need is presented. It's, I don't want to do it. That's inconvenient. Maybe they're not my favorite person. Someone else will do it. Well, putting others above yourselves is when you set those aside, you say, no, I'm going to put others above myself and do what they need. One of the things I love about our church is I see our spiritual family at Midtown uh, doing this freely. 
I see it often when, when people watch others' kids so that the parents can go out on a date night. I see it regularly among our Midtown community leaders who have a very long day or a hard day or a long day, yet they're still faithful to lead their MC and be present with their group and love the people. I've seen it this entire year on Zoom for our worship leaders in particular who graciously lead worship for us on Sundays, even though they know that the, the sound quality isn't what they would like. I see this in the way that when we announce that we have a financial need in our church and to see the way our spiritual community generously gives and meets those spiritual needs. I, I see it in the way that I invited a few people last week to go to the Baker Center and help us do a trash pickup to kind of honor our landlord who's letting us go rent-free while we're not meeting. And, and we gathered a group together in a matter of days and cleaned. All these are examples of, of us setting aside and sacrificing, giving some of our own time or energy that we could have spent on ourselves, we could have done in selfish ways, but instead we put others' needs above our own. And so perhaps one of the ways that you can love each other during this fast and grow to love each other better after this fast is to find one or two people to serve, to sacrifice some of your time or energy. Maybe it is providing childcare for somebody so they can have a date night. Maybe it is helping someone work on a house project or some area where you have expertise that could help or Maybe it's students helping someone with their homework or tutoring someone where you have expertise. Or maybe if you're honest, there's some way that there's already been an opportunity before you, but you've said no to it because of selfish reasons. Maybe this is the chance this next week to put it aside and say, I'm going to put others' needs above my own. A third thing, third way to love one another is in sharing resources. If you're to go to verse 13, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And one of the most tangible ways that we can love one another is by sharing and providing for each other's needs. We can share money with those who are in financial need. Uh, we can share possessions with those who need to borrow something. Uh, we can share hand-me-downs for those who need something without selling things instead of trying to make a profit off of what we would sell. Or we could buy or we could cook food for those who have children, new babies, or those who've had medical procedures. And that's things I've seen us do within our church. I love it. Our spiritual family, we have, we have stories of people giving each other cars, multiple stories, actually, if you don't know that. We have stories of people giving up, uh, giving up their rooms for free or leasing space for very cheap to, for people to stay when they had need of housing. I love that we have constant meal chains going at all times to provide for each other. And I love that we have a food drive right now going in parallel with, uh, to support a Christian organization that we can support. I know we've had people in our church who've actually chipped in to pay for others that they know in our church that can't afford counseling but need to go. And so they've chipped in money to provide for people to go to counseling. I love that we are a church that's sharing. And it's one of the tangible ways that we can love one another sincerely without hypocrisy is by sharing. So perhaps for you in this next week, or perhaps in the weeks after this fast, one of the ways that we can grow to love one another is to share. Honestly, I'm not aware of any specific needs that we have currently, but that's one of the reasons that we send out this, this link every single week to you guys saying, hey, share what's your prayer request, share some needs, because if you would make us aware of a need of something going on in your life, we would love to present it to our church, and I'm confident that people in our church in sincere love would meet that need. So use that connection card to let us know how we can be serving and meeting your needs and sharing with you. And one of the things I'd say too, just to go back to our Midtown communities, the fact is I don't hear about a lot of the ways that people are sharing because where it most often happens is in the context of our Midtown communities. Because in the context of the smaller communities, that's where needs are surfaced. 
and beyond what I even know, people are meeting those needs because they're in those communities and responding right away that way. And I love that that's happening and things that I don't even know about. But if you're not part of a Midtown community, you miss on that opportunity both to share and for others to share with you. Paul goes on to say another reason, real practical way to love is to show hospitality. Real simply, the command in verse 13b, told you these are real practical and simple, is practice hospitality. Another practical way to show love is practice hospitality. And, and I know this is a little different because COVID has severely cut down on our opportunities to have people into our homes. But hospitality can be different and it can feel different during COVID. And hopefully we're going to be resuming in home gatherings soon, God willing. And, but still, depending on your health conditions and your personal convictions, you can still find ways to be hospitable to one another. And it's a practical way of showing sincere love. Those who are in pods can see some of you guys in pods right now. You can share meals together. Uh, those of you who feel comfortable, you can invite someone who's relatively new to our church or someone new that you've met to a socially distanced outdoor gathering. Get this, even on a Sunday morning, one thing you could do here on Zoom is you could actually scroll through Zoom, find people you don't know, and send them a private message just to tell them that you're glad that you're here and you welcome them. If it makes you feel better, you could say like you're an, you're an unofficial part of the welcoming committee, and then you could do it that way. So I've been doing this on Sundays, and it's fun just to welcome new people. There's ways that we can practice hospitality even as we are, and I'll admit that I'm actually very sad because COVID put a pretty big damper on what I believe to be one of our greatest strengths as a church, that we are a very, very hospitable church on Sunday mornings. With very few exceptions, when new people come, they're acknowledged, they're greeted, they're cared for. They're loved in sincere ways, and they're welcomed just as they are. We're a very, very safe place for inviting friends to Midtown. In fact, when I invite friends, even on weeks when I'm teaching or I feel like I'm real busy, I just have complete confidence that if my friends walk through that door, they're going to get cared for. And I love that about our church. While COVID has made much more of this difficult, I'm still hopeful because we're having new people join us on Zoom each Sunday. And when we resume meeting again in person, for those who are willing next week, uh, we're going to continue to have new visitors come and we're going to be able to greet them and show the same, same uh, hospitality, even though they can't see our smiles <laughs> through our masks, uh, they will know that we welcome them. It's a strength of our church and I love that. Hospitality is difficult because it does require a cost. It requires a cost of time and it requires a cost of meeting new people because meeting new people can be difficult. Sometimes we have our set groups of friends and we're not really excited to meet new people. But that's the way we love one another, a cost to ourselves and for the glory of God. That's hospitality. So for many of us, this maybe is a season where you can't show hospitality depending on your uh, health conditions and your convictions. But for those who are comfortable getting together in different ways, perhaps one of the things that you can do in this next season as we fast and even beyond the fast is to love one another by showing hospitality. Moving on to the next one in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Another way to love is to give empathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, Paul commands. One way that we show non-hypocritical, sincere love is to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And this is one of the most profound and the most difficult ways to love one another, especially when one person's in a mourning season and another person is in a rejoicing season. But the point being, if we're able to do one of the first commandments to put honor one another above ourselves, then we're able to emphasize with the other no matter which state we're in, mourning or rejoicing. 
And one of the things I love about this command is it's very different from the other ones. The other ones, there's tangible things that we can do. We can share, we can show hospitality, or we can do something for someone. But this doing something is less about doing. This doing is more about being. It's about drawing close. It's about being present with someone and feeling what they're feeling. It's not trying to fix anything. It's not trying to answer or solve anything. It's about just being present. It's one of the best ways that we can love one another. And I feel this difficult tension of trying to do both often in the context of our Midtown communities. Um, Oftentimes in a Midtown community, someone's going to come to the group and they might share something extremely heavy there in a morning. And so we've got to mourn with them. And there are occasions when they mourn, like the entire MC should be devoted to them. You've got to discern from the spirit whether that's what you're supposed to do. But more often than not, as much as someone mourns, once they've been mourned with and cared for, it's completely appropriate for someone else to jump in and share something that they're rejoicing in. Because as a body, we do both. And you can jump in and share, well, here's something I'm really grateful for, right on the heels of someone describing mourning, and we can share both. And the opposite's true. When someone's shared stories of celebration, and you've got one of mourning, don't feel like you can't share your mourning because you're going to be a Debbie Downer. Not at all. Because the way that we sincerely love one another is we do both at the same time. We, we love by mourning with those who mourn and we, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the ways that we see each other in spiritual family is to do both, even if it feels like it's going to cost us something. This is a different kind of cost, the kind of cost that comes with empathy. It can be time because you're being present, but it can also be an emotional exhausting especially on the morning side, when you, when you invest and you, and you enter into someone's morning, it costs you something to carry that burden with them. But that's what sincere love is about. And we do this well as a church and it's something we can continue to grow toward. And if I'm to be real frank, uh, two of the most common ways that we as a spiritual family at Midtown Church uh, wrestle with this combination of mourning and rejoicing uh, comes with, with those who are rejoicing that they're in a relationship or even in a marriage uh, compared to those who may be mourning because they're single. And I mentioned that particularly on a Valentine's day where that might be more acute feeling than normal. And as a church, we need to remember to mourn with those who are single and wish that they weren't and, and to rejoice with those who are married and happily married and to mourn with those who are struggling in their marriage. Another way that we do that, and I've seen our church do well at this is more common ways that we both rejoice and mourn is with those who, who have kids and children that are rejoicing because of what God has given them, that there's also those who wish that they had children and aren't able to. And so they're in a season of mourning. And as a church, we need to be able to do both. We've done both well, and we continue to grow as a church in that way. So perhaps one of the ways that you can grow to empathize with those uh, in our church during this fast and after the church, or after the fast, rather, is to connect uh, with someone in a different stage of life and to get to know each other. Or maybe one of the ways that you can love one another during the fast and after the fast is to connect with someone in a different season of life than you. Or maybe someone who's mourning, when you're rejoicing, reach out to those that are mourning. Or maybe you're in a season of mourning, reach out to someone in the church this week who's in a season of rejoicing. Next command we give is to welcome everyone. In verse 16, it says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So don't be proud, don't be conceited. Instead, be willing to associate with people of low position. And so one of the ways that we love each other is by not thinking that we're better than other people 
or by dividing our spiritual family into cliques of certain type of people who are welcome and certain who are not. Because Christian love requires that everyone is welcome. Now, we might define low position uh, differently in our day. It really kind of depends on what things we're proud about or conceited about. In our day, we might judge someone of a low position based on their socioeconomic background or based on their educational background or based on their age or based on their job or based on their past marital status or based on their previous marriages or based on their personality or social skills. We likely have our own unique pride and conceit and are tempted to judge others as lowly with our sinful thoughts. And what Paul's trying to make the point here is that Christian love does not discriminate against any category of those people, but it welcomes everyone. And beyond that, it says that just welcome. It says associate, that we relate to one another, that we should aim to pull people into our community who are different from us, not exclude them. I was reminded about this this week. It's fun to have Saul uh, on our call uh, this morning because I was reminded of how long COVID has been because a few weeks ago marked the year anniversary of our, uh, of our men's retreat, which is one of the last things I remember before COVID. And I loved our men's retreat last year uh, because Saul was just an incredible speaker that produced so much life and conversation amongst our men. And one of the things that I love about all of our retreats that we do is we bring together people from all different parts of our church and we gather together and it's most striking to me, actually, when we have like our lengthy times of, of free time on a Saturday at our men's retreat or in the evenings after the sessions are over, because what you'll find during those free times is you've got all kinds of different interests. You've got guys who want to play sports, and you've got guys who want to play board games. You've got guys who want to play like really nerdy board games. <laughs> you've got guys who want to tell stories by the fire. You've got guys that want to do like a deep dive into an intellectual conversation for hours. You've got guys who want to go for hikes. You've got guys who want to take naps. And one of the things I love at our men's retreat is we gather with all those different types and we're a family together and no one's excluded. No one's lowly, no one's prideful, no one's conceited. And that's one of the ways that we love one another is we welcome one another. And so perhaps one of the ways that you can practice love during this fast or after this fast is to make a connection with someone who's different from you, someone whose interests are different from you or personality is different from you and make it a point to get to know them and make sure that they know that they're loved and included in Midtown. And the final of the commands that he gives specific to how to love one another is to seek peace. Verse 16, it says, live in harmony with one another. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So one of the ways that we love one another sincerely without hypocrisy is by seeking harmony in relationships, by doing everything within our personal power to keep peace. This live in harmony, it really just means get along. Do what you can to get along. And I love that it says as far as it depends on you. <laughs> like you've got to do everything you can do. It does take two to pursue peace, but one of the things you find is if you do everything you can do with to live with peace, often there can be. It's up to you to do everything in your power. And one of the ways that we love each other is that we have peace amidst the diversity in our spiritual family, that we seek peace and mutual edifications. And I feel like we've talked a lot about this during COVID and during this political season. So I'm not going to repeat what's been said multiple times this year, but I do want to point out here it is again, like we're not making this stuff up. We're not saying we should try to be unified and the church should seek to have unity just because that's what we want to say. Like keep reading the scripture. It just keeps coming up time and time and again. And one of the ways that we seek peace in our spiritual family is by trying to find harmony and seek peace with one another. 
Um, I'm in what's called a pastors and covenant group. There's hundreds of them throughout the city where pastors from multiple different churches meet together once a month for a couple hours just to share life and pray for one another and really minister to each other, something that pastors often don't get from other people. But as pastors, we can minister to each other. And I'm in a group with six different churches in central Austin. And one of the things that happened a few weeks ago at our pastors and covenant meeting is these guys were describing how incredibly divided their churches were. I'm not going to break any confidence to name the churches or describe the situations, but just to say that we were all grieving that this year, man, this year has been incredibly difficult for pastors because our job is to try to seek unity. Our job is to try to foster unity within our church and and help our people focus on what's most important and not get divided. And, And every one of these pastors in this group had stories to tell how difficult that's been and what a difficult year it's been. And while we've had some of that, I honestly had to say, and I was thinking in my heart, like I'm grateful that our church has done so much better than, than what I had heard described among these men and seeking peace. And I want to commend us for that and say that that's one of the ways that we have sincere, non-hypocritical love is by seeking peace and harmony with one another. And so I ought to continue to make the same urge that one of the ways that we can love each other during this fast and after this fast is finding someone who has different thoughts than you on any number of issues. And even more specifically, if this would apply to you, if there's someone in the church that you have a conflict with, to get together with them during this week, to contact them, and to confess how you've contributed to the division and ask for forgiveness and seek peace within our church. That's one of the ways that we practically show sincere love. So as we head into this first week of our fast, focused on extending God's love for one another, Like the Apostle Paul, I wanted to cast a really high vision for what sincere love looks like. It looks like meeting in the need of another at the cost of oneself for the glory of God. That's what we're to aim for. That's that's a high aim. As we head into this week, I hope that some of these ways that I've given you, some of the ways that Paul specifically says, here's how we love one another, one or two of them might stand out. That as we apply, particularly as we apply the various challenges to each day during our devotional, may God give us a way to love one another that strengthens our church and deepens our commitment to one another and our brotherly love. Let me pray for us toward that end. God, purify our hearts. We do pray that you'd make our love sincere. I pray that our church would overflow with love this week, that sincere love would be focused on the other and would be done to the glory of your name. I pray that we keep growing even more as a church. We deepen our commitment Uh, to live as a spiritual family, to put others first, to share our resources, to show hospitality, to give empathy, to welcome everyone, and to seek peace. Let this next week of fasting in particular help us experience your love extended through each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.